I mean, there is this attitude out there that people have that, you know, this assumption that, well, I can approach God or I can connect with God whenever I so choose to do. When it's convenient for me, I will make a decision to give my heart to the Lord and get myself saved. And it's it's really just, just this, this lackadaisical attitude that it's really up to me, the individual, when I decide to get myself some some religion. Now, nothing could be further from the truth that the fact of the matter is, you know, Jesus said that no man can come to me unless the Father draw him. It's not an issue. It's an issue of God initiating the decision to call a person. <clears throat> you cannot, of your own volition, just make the decision at your choosing, I'm going to get myself some religion. It doesn't work that way. The fact of the matter is there is a window of opportunity that God pre- pre- presents to us. That is, if God is calling you during this this time and God is now only calling a first fruit, and this is critical to understand that, that for right now, God is calling a first fruit. He's not calling everybody to salvation right now. He is, though, calling a first fruit. Now, if you fit into that category, that God, that you feel like God is calling you, you feel like God is opening your heart, your mind to receive his truth, you know that God is bringing you to a point of conviction. If that describes you, in other words, you're convicted of your sins, you're convicted by the law of God, which drives people to Jesus Christ. How does the law of God drive people to Jesus Christ? Well, because of conviction of sin. You realize through the law that you are breaking the law and therefore you are a sinner, therefore you need a savior. I mean, this is how the law works. But if if that describes you, that you feel God is working, that God is working through you, there is, what I want you to understand is this, there is a window of opportunity for you to respond to God. And that window of opportunity will not be open forever. Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. There's a movie entitled Rigoletto, and it, it's a powerful movie. It's a movie. Rigoletto is a, he's like a god, a god of music. He's definitely from another world. And it, it's a powerful, probably one of the most powerful movies I've ever seen in my life, Rigoletto. And in the movie, the townspeople think that Rigoletto is taking their land. Now, the people are poor, and often ignorant people will think like this. They want somebody to blame for their poverty or whatever, and and so they blame Rigoletto, that he's, he's taking their land. Well, actually, he's not taking anything from these people. He's very generous. He's always secretly helping the townspeople, but they don't know that. They're they're totally oblivious to the fact that he's really a good man. And they really begin to demonize uh, Rigoletto and just make him into a monster, actually. Well, in the movie, 
a woman of the town comes to his house and and uh, wants to visit Rigoletto and and sort of find out more details about what he's doing. And the servant, you know, Rigoletto lives in this big mansion of a home, and the servant uh, <clears throat> lets her in and takes her coat and takes her hat and hangs it on a rack there. And and the servant comes to the room where Rigoletto is seated, and he gently opens the door and she steps forward and you hear Rigoletto say, you may approach, you may approach. And it's, it's a powerful uh, part in the movie because Rigoletto is like, like I said, he's a God from another world. And you don't just strike up a casual conversation with this man, you know, you, you get permission first, and he had to say the words. Before she could come forward, he had to say the words, you may approach. Now, I have found that when it comes to religion, a lot of people think they can sort of flippantly, you know, at their choosing, maybe about uh, a week or two before they kick the bucket, they can approach God. They can approach God whenever they want to. They can approach God if they feel like it, or if they don't feel like it, they cannot approach God. And like I said, most people uh, really seriously think about approaching God at the end of one's life when their lives are in jeopardy and they come to a point where they say, I- I've got to do something. I- I've got to get my act together. I got to get me some religion quick. And they make a decision to uh, approach God. Now, it's, it's a very erroneous concept, the gullibility of ourselves in thinking that we could do that anytime we so choose. In fact, in the Bible, in John 6 and verse 44, there is a statement. It's one of these, what I call an absolute statement. Okay, John 6 and verse 44, it says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. This is Jesus speaking here, and he says, Look, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. What's being said here, what is being discovered here, is that I can't come to God of my own volition. And, you know, this presents a problem. It it sort of flies in the face of what I call mainstream Christianity, where the concept is, you know, just come to the cross, and we're trying to get everybody saved right now, and we're trying to, you know, we're sending missionaries out, and we're We've got all of our churches, and we've got all of our evangelistic campaigns, and we're trying desperately to get people uh, saved. Yes, saved. But like I said, this this when Jesus said, "No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him," this presents a problem because you can't come to God simply by your own volition when you decide to do it. It's impossible, is what I'm saying. Now, this statement absolutely jives with another statement that Jesus made in Matthew 7 and verse 13 and 14. And I'm reading from uh, 
I forget what translation this is, but it's a little different translation. I wish I should have gotten my notes better there and to tell you what uh, translation this is. But it's not the King James, but it's uh, a similar one here. It says, go in through the narrow gate. The gate to destruction is wide, and the road that leads there is easy to follow. A lot of people go through that gate. But the gate to life is very narrow. The road that leads there is so hard to follow that only a few people find it. Now, this sort of is, again, this is the opposite of what you've been taught. You know, at least for me, what I've been taught is, is I get the concept that the way to life, it's just, it's all kinds of room to come in there. I mean, we've got all of these churches and it's just, there's plenty of room for anybody who wants to come to come in and get salvation and begin a relationship with God at their choosing just whenever they decide to. So really what I've gotten in my lifespan is sort of the concept that is opposite of what I'm reading here. No, Jesus said, look, the gate to life is very narrow. And the road that leads there is so hard to follow that only a few people find it. So Jesus seems to be implying something quite different than what we normally think about when we think about, well, really, just how easy it is for anybody to come to God. Now, I said that you can't come to God by your own volition, but you can be deeply religious by your own volition. In other words, you can make the decision to be the most religious person in the world. I mean, after all, you, we have, in America, we have 450,000 churches that dot the landscape. We have 650,000 preachers in America. We have 42,000 different uh, denominations in America. So, by your own volition, yeah, you can you can go to church six days a week and twice on Sunday. You can have a religious experience anytime you choose by your own volition. But the difference I'm trying to explain is being called of God, when God puts his finger on you and says, I want that person. Being called, being one of God's elect, uh, being one of God's first fruits, where God says, I want that person. That is totally different than just having a religious experience. Religious experiences are very surface uh, stuff. I mean, it's, it's easy to do. Anybody can do it at any time they want to do it. But what I'm talking about is totally different. I'm trying to make a distinction between being called of God, where God says, I want that person. I'm going to draw that person to myself. You know, if any man come to me, you know, he can't do it unless the Father draw him. That's what I'm talking about. That that experience is totally different than just having a religious experience. Okay. Now, I want to touch on, I think a lot of this misunderstanding exists because of one of the things that in our religion, our religious society, we very early in history rejected 
uh, the holy days of God, and they are referred to as the Feast of the Lords, these holy days. But the holy days found in your Bible are very um, discerning. I mean, they teach us a lot about what God is doing and what his plan is for mankind. Would you be shocked to learn that at this time that God is not just desperately trying to save everybody right now? He is calling a first fruit. That's a, that's an abs- that's something we're going to find out right now that he is calling a first fruit right now. But the concept that God is on one side and the devil is on the other side and the devil is trying to get everybody lost and, the, and God is just desperately trying to get everybody saved, that that whole concept as far as reality is concerned is just an illusion in your mind. It's just an illusion. Now, the holy days are, are very important because of what they reveal. Now, in Exodus 34 and verse 22, it touches on something about the feast of, it mentions a couple of harvest festivals. And Israel's, you know, their their society was built around the harvest season. And these holy days tie into this harvest season. And there's it's very meaningful what these days mean. In Exodus 34 and verse 22, it says, And you shall observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of wheat, harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Now, what we have here is a couple of pretty big, well, the one is referred to as the first fruit harvest that occurred in the spring, but then later in the fall you have a feast of ingathering, another harvest of ingathering of certain fruits and stuff. Uh, but what what exactly is this first fruit harvest? And how does this apply to what God is doing right now when it comes to saving humanity, saving the world, saving mankind from his sins? Just what is this first fruit harvest? How significant is it? Well, I think it's very important. Now, in James 1 and verse 18, it speaks to this first fruit harvest of people, let's say. It says, of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Notice, it refers to us, of those that God has put his finger on, those that God is drawing now, that, that you know, as Jesus said, you know, if, unless the Father draw him, he cannot come to me. But for those whom God is drawing right now, they are referred to, the elect of God, they are referred to as the first fruit. And if you think about it, okay, if you have a first fruit, then probably you have a second fruit. In fact, we just read earlier that there is there were two harvests here. There was a first fruit harvest, and then there was another harvest of ingathering later on. So we could look at it and say, okay, there's a first fruit, and maybe there's a second fruit, third fruit, however you want to look at that. And we come to, at the end of the Bible, we come to the book of Revelation, Revelation 14 and verse 4, where it sort of sums up uh, what God has done with these first fruits. It says, these are they, speaking of the first fruits, 
which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. So, you know, we, we, we go and we, at this point we have the return of Christ. We have the resurrection of the dead, that is the saints, the firstfruits, the elect of God. And here we are concluding at the end of the book of Revelation with the firstfruits. Okay, that's nice, uh, you know, if you're one of the first fruits. But my question is, what about the rest? What about the rest? Now, did Jesus in his ministry ever hide the way to salvation from people? You know, that almost sounds like a conundrum there. Why, why would he hide the way? I mean, he came to die for our sins. He came to give his life for our for our sins. Why would he hide the way to salvation from people? Well, it all depends on God's timing, whether today is the day that God wants you to give you an opportunity for salvation. It's up to him. You know, God provides the timing for which he will call a person, the time he will call a person and open his heart to the truth. In fact, God will not call a person one second before they're ready to accept the truth. So the question we're dealing with here is, did, did Jesus in his ministry, can we find an example in Jesus' ministry of ever hiding the way to salvation or the way to truth? Did Jesus ever hide that from people? Well, in Matthew 13 and verse 10, his disciples came to Jesus and they said, why are you speaking to the masses of people in parables? Now, this drove the disciples nutty right here because he was always speaking in parables to people and a parable is much like a riddle you have to figure it out now if you've been in sunday school you've probably been taught that the reason jesus spoke in parables is to make his meaning more clearer no that's not the reason jesus spoke in parables as we shall see he spoke in these parables these riddles for a specific reason and he's about to explain why because this was the question why his disciples wanted to know why are you speaking to these people in parables now often jesus would come back and explain the meaning to the 12 disciples he didn't explain it to the masses he explained it to the 12 disciples and so they wanted to know why are you speaking to them in parables and he answered and said now here's your answer because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven but to them it's not given now here we are talking about the distinction between the first fruits, the elect of gods, those that God has put his finger on and said, I want to call you right now. This is the difference between, you know, the masses of people who it's not their time right now and the difference between them and the first fruits that God is now calling. And he basically says, look, it's, it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking to the 12 disciples, but to them, the masses, it's not given. Verse 12, for whosoever has to him shall he shall be given and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not from him shall be taken away even that he has. Therefore, in other words, this is the reason I speak to them in parables because they seeing see not and hearing hear not 
neither do they understand. You know, Jesus is saying, look, they have the the function. I mean, they've got the ears, they've got the eyes, but they just can't get it right now because it's just not their time to get it. I'm not opening their minds to receive it right now, is what Jesus is saying. And in them, verse 14, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, which says, by hearing you shall hear and not understand, and seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. Now, understand what I'm saying. I'm saying that God calls people today according to his timing, according to whether he wants people. There is an election right now. There are the first fruits that God is now calling. And the masses, you might say the masses of people on this earth God is not calling right now. Now, that does not mean that they're lost. You have to stay with me on this and not get ahead of me. I'm not saying they're doomed to a lake of fire or any such thing as that. I'm just saying today is not their day to get it, to understand. Continuing on in Matthew 13, verse 15, it says, For these people's hearts is wax gross, and their eyes are, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes. Now, here again is the distinction. Here's the difference between the first fruits that God is now calling and the masses of people on the earth. If any man, you know, the father said, Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the father draw him. Here's the distinction. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. The rest don't get it at this time. Now, another troubling question is this. Does God ever blind people to the way Uh, to salvation at this time? Does he ever deliberately blind people to the way to salvation at this time? Well, in Romans 11 and verse 5, there's an interesting comment here. Speaking of uh, Israel, it says, even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Now again, here is this language. Uh, There is an election. There is a remnant. There is a first fruit that God is now calling according to the election of grace. Uh, Romans 11 and verse 6. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, works is no more work. Uh, Romans 11 and verse 7. What then? Israel has not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Now consider this. Who's doing the blinding? You know, God is saying, okay, the election, the first fruit, get it, and the rest are blinded. Who's doing the blinding? Do you know the answer to that question? Well, it's God doing the blinding. Verse 8, according as, as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And this is the exact same scripture Jesus quoted when they asked him about speaking in parables, the prophecy of Isaiah about, you know, they've got ears, they've they've got eyes, but they just don't get it because it's not their time to get it. 
Now, in the movie, I mentioned the movie Rigoletto. There's one one more little part I want to share with you in that movie. Uh, toward the end of the movie, there's a little girl that wants Rigoletto to teach her to sing. Her name is Bonnie. And, of course, again, Rigoletto is a, mu- is a master of music. And Bonnie comes to Rigoletto and says, Could you teach me to sing? Could you teach me to sing? And Rigoletto says, one day I may teach you to sing, but today is not that day. And I think when it comes to people, you know, God might very well say, one day I am going to call you, but today is not your day. And I know a lot of people have a problem with this because they'll say things like, well, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Yeah, I agree. Today is the day of salvation if God has called you. If God has opened your heart, if God has opened your mind, if you are one of the first fruits, then yes, today is the day of salvation for you. But if God has not called you, and if God has not opened your mind, and if God has not opened your heart, then today is not your day. Does God have a plan for saving, hopefully, all of mankind? You know, the answer to this question is yes, he does. He has a plan set in place, which is revealed by God's annual holy days on how to save, how he is going to save the majority of mankind. But it involves God's timing, not our timing, not the evangelist timing, not your church, not your preacher, you know, not not the evangelistic campaign or whatever. It involves God's timing. Second Peter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if we want to know what God's will is, well, God's will is that all should come to repentance. Well, why don't we see that today? Why don't we see the masses of people, of all the 450,000 churches and the 650,000 preachers and the 42,000 denominations, why don't we see the majority of the earth's population being saved? Can you answer that question? I know the answer because it's not their time to be saved right now. But there is coming a day. There is coming a day in the very near future. But to understand it, you've got to hear the rest of the story. And the Bible refers to this, this rest of the story as the rest of the dead, that the, there is coming a time when the rest of the dead are going to be resurrected. And there is coming another great harvest. Right now, we have a harvest of first fruits that God is calling, but there's coming a latter harvest of people when God will set his hand to give an opportunity for all those who were never called during this dispensation during this time period God is going to set his hand to give everyone who never had a chance for salvation their first chance for salvation well I'm David Freeman with is that really in the Bible this has been podcast 101 be sure and check out the website And look at the Bible references, the scripture notes on this subject. Don't believe me. Believe your Bible. Prove all things. And next time, we're going to be talking about the rest of the dead. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast. Watch the weekly program. 
worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service. And be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net.